0: Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, the newest Netflix movie starring Zac Efron, which tells the story of Ted Bundy, or version of his story that we'll get into why it might not be like the best version of his story, but it is a version of the infamous serial killer, and I'm happy to be joined by my friend Logan Abbott, who last joined us way back on the Crazy Rich Asians podcast. Logan, thanks for coming back.
1: Hey, Josh. Thanks. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. So you actually reached out to me about talking about this one because you are a little bit of a, a true crime uh, fanatic, at least uh, with the kinds of content you consume. So if you can give us a little bit of context for your true crime fandom, what is it about this genre that kind of at least intrigues you enough to consume it to the level you do? And uh, <laughs> what, what about Ted Bundy's story really kind of uh, struck you and made you feel compelled to like want to talk about it?
1: Yeah, so my interest in true crime goes back really far. I think I remember being in high school and being pretty obsessed with um, the Dahmer case because I think I saw something on Nat Geo or the History Channel, uh, some special about him as a serial killer. Yeah. But I didn't really get into investigating true crime as a medium until college with serial. That was my first one. And then I started, as most people's was, with the Adnan Syed case. And then I started researching more things. I started trying to find more podcasts that were interesting. So I listened to, you know, the classic My Favorite Murder, if anyone else is a true crime fan, every week, Mondays and Thursdays, when they come <laughs> out, highly recommend It is a true crime comedy podcast. Be ready for that. I enjoy it. It's <laughs> fun. It, it's, it's a heavy enough medium that having some light comedy about the, the narrator's lives is enjoyable. There you go. But um, in regards to Ted Bundy specifically, his case is probably the most famous infamous serial killer case in all of the United States, especially since his trial was the first fully televised trial ever in the Uni- in United States history. Right. So I think that leads a lot to why he's so famous. Mm-hmm. So I had listened to a podcast episode on my favorite murder about him, where one of the hosts narrates the story. And gradually, as I was starting to read more true crime books, I decided to purchase the seminal book by Ann Rule, which is The Stranger Beside Me, which is pretty much the handbook for most people with what happened with the Ted Bundy case. So as soon as I knew that this series, or not this series, excuse me, that this movie was coming out, I was really excited to watch it. And then when you mentioned to Fred last week, last time you spoke to him, that you were going to be doing extremely wicked shockingly evil and vile on your podcast i knew that i wanted to be a part of it because i knew i was going to have so many thoughts
0: yeah and it's interesting you said you read that book which i guess is like a definitive uh one of the definitive chronicle or chronicles of his story because the this movie is actually based on the book by elizabeth kendall who was ted bundy's girlfriend for about five years or so before and up in or through the time that he committed a lot of these murders. So this movie, largely for the first half of it, kind of tells their story to a certain extent, and then they kind of jump back and forth between both him and her as he is on the run. So the, the perspective of this movie are arguably maybe like... Could have been a lot more from her. She's played by Lily Collins, and who's a good actress. And I don't know, it's interesting because a lot of people were worried when they, this movie first came out that it's like, oh, you know, it's gonna be like a kind of a sexy, hypersexualized version with Zach Efron and Lily Collins, and they're both these two attractive young actors, and it's just gonna be kind of a weird romance, which is gonna portray Ted Bundy in an odd light. So uh, going into it, when you see it, it's like, oh, it's actually from the perspective of his girlfriend, that's an interesting way to tell the story of like, a serial killer but it ultimately doesn't really end up being her movie you know
1: yeah it's it still ends up being about him i think the important thing to note about the different perspectives um, for those of you who don't know Anne rule she was a true crime writer back in the 70s who was actually tasked with writing about the what became the Ted Bundy killings about the time were just these murders that were happening all over Washington state before she knew that Ted Bundy was a killer. And she actually worked with Ted Bundy at a crisis center. Hmm. So that's part of the reason why gotcha. that book was so famous is because she actually had, she was another woman who had a personal connection to him and she was writing this book while she knew him. And that's why it's called the stranger beside me because she would work with him every night through the night, to help these people who called this crisis center, uh, whether it was because they had suicidal thoughts or they were going through a tough time, they were the people who spoke to them. And Ted was the person who was sitting next to her, helping her with these calls. Gotcha. So, And the book does go a lot more into detail about his actual crimes, and it's actually, I think, is written very, very respectfully um, about the victims. Um, so even though it discusses who Ted was and how Anne Rule knew him, Uh, It still is very respectful to the fact that, you know, he did do all these horrible things to these women that were confirmed as his victims. So I
0: think it's interesting that you mentioned that, though, about just the way it treats the victims. I think that's been one of the big criticisms of this movie and I think, it, I think it's certainly fair to some extent, but at the same time, uh, Netflix, When I, we should say that the movie itself, is Extremely Wicked, I'm just going to call it Extremely Wicked because I'm going to trip. Yeah, it. I'm it's, gonna, it's a mouthful. I mean, I get that they wanted to use the quote from the judge, uh, but it's a mouthful and I'm going to mess it up. I totally butchered it when I tried to say it at the end of the podcast with Fred last week. Yeah. And I, and so but the, both, I didn't realize until after I finished watching the movie and I watched the Netflix documentary first, both the Netflix documentary, which is four parts and the movie are directed by Joe Berlinger, who's actually a pretty well-respected documentarian. And the movie's gotten a lot of criticism because it really does not tell the story of the victims at all. And I get that criticism, but at the same time, like, he killed a lot of people. It's horrible. But, like, if you tried to, like, tell his story, tell his girlfriend's story, tell the story of the victims, like, that's, that deserves more time. And I, it probably deserves more time than even that documentary allowed. That documentary told you some things about the victims and I think talked to some of their families. But you can only, like, fit so much into, like, a regular length movie. So I'm curious if, if to hear from you, uh, just big picture, like, I don't know, what version of this movie would, would have been, like, your ideal version? Because I feel like it's pretty interesting where the movie had its priorities and that it, uh, it, it goes out of its way to, like, actually almost show absolutely zero of him committing crimes.
1: So, yeah, this is definitely something that I wanted to touch on, which is specifically that the, pers- the perspective that the film was written portraying, which is uh, Liz Kendall's perspective, or you know, her real name is Elizabeth Kloeper, but she originally published her book underneath that pseudonym, Liz Kendall. Ah, right. Um, so, basically, this book, the reason, the, the reason that the movie, in my opinion, goes to such lengths to prevent the, the viewer from seeing Ted as guilty is because Liz herself, when she was going through this, went to such lengths to not see him as guilty. And the entire time, even when we're not seeing Liz on screen, even when she's not involved in what's happening, we're still seeing the movie from her perspective because everything that's occurring is something that has been written about, is something that has been published, is something that she could have learned through the 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 televised trials or through things that were written uh, while things were going on or things that were written later. We really don't ever see Ted Bundy by himself, except for when, you know, we have those really brief moments where he's escaping uh, the prison through the light hatch right, in the right, roof. Right, right, right. So the entire thing up until the very end is just the way that Liz has seen the trial. And for someone—and that's why I think that the intended audience of the movie— wasn't really supposed to be as widespread as it is. I think, in my opinion, that the attended audience is for people who know the story, who know what he's done, and who are excited to see a different perspective. And that perspective is his girlfriend. And so the entire time, we're seeing and believing what she sees and believes, which is why we don't find out until the very end when he tells her, basically, that he's guilty, that we don't see any of that.
0: Well, what's interesting about that is that I was actually listening to a, an interview with the director the other day, and the original version of the script, you don't actually find out it's the Ted Bundy story until like the very end. So, like, you, you, it was, it was just, I don't, I don't know how they were going to pull that off. How going to do that with the trip. trial? I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure how they were going to do it, but there was some version of this movie in which, like, you don't actually find out it's Ted Bundy until, like, the very end, and, I mean, I guess in the trial you could, I mean, you because they could still use the names of the victims and just not call him Mr. Bundy, and I guess right. there's a way you do that, because how many people actually know the names of his victims, as terrible as it is to say, like, yeah. they, they know they know him. So I guess there is a version of this movie where you're just not, where you're not, you're you're kind of cutting around the conversations where they would actually refer to him as Ted Bundy. And you're not, you're not cutting into news stories where they refer to him as Ted Bundy because you don't, you don't need news clips, you know, um, But, like, it actually would be hard, I guess, when it's, like, detectives calling up and searching names. But there was some version of it where they wanted that to be, like, the twist at the end where it's, like, did this seemingly really nice guy who helped this single mom raise her daughter and all of that, like, was he capable of this? But I think they decided that that wasn't the best way to do it, and you just needed to kind of play up the fact that this, like you said, was a different version of Ted Bundy's story. But neither of us have actually really even given our opinions on the movie yet. How successful do you think it was in doing that, and do you think that was the best way to tell this story?
1: So I think if if you look at it from the fact that the, the entire movie is from Liz's perspective, I think that it did a good job. I think that there was enough that they gave us, you know, when we did have those scenes of Ted driving in the car and getting pulled pulled over, for us to have that same inkling that she had that he might be guilty, but she didn't want to believe it. I think that the the movie, if you came from the perspective that you don't know anything about Ted Bundy, probably did a really good job of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just don't know really what the, I mean, the intended audience is clearly people who are very interested in the story, but I don't know if I really got anything new out of it. I mean, I feel terrible for Liz and her family. I feel terrible that she had to go through this and obviously that anybody had to go through this, but I didn't find the movie itself all that compelling or interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, I really did not know a ton about Ted Bundy. I knew he obviously knew he was the murderer. I knew about his reputation as the quote-unquote evil genius, which is where I'll get to a little in a little bit, which is my biggest problem with the movie, is I think it plays into that a bit much. But I, I just knew that he had that kind of reputation as just the serial killer that was really handsome and used his charms to prey on victims and that he was arrested in uh, Pensacola, Florida because I'm from Pensacola, Florida. Mm-hmm. And that's really all I that's really all I knew about his story for the most part. And so going in like I guess it is kind of interesting to know he was capable of living this double life, but I don't know if the movie actually does a good enough job of which is it just feels weird to say because it's based on her book, but I don't know if it does a good enough job of like writing her as a character and letting getting getting know her as a person you know what i mean like i agree with that you don't know a lot about what makes her tick like obviously she's uh, it's i think is a good performance where you really feel for her like you said you do feel for her but i don't think you get to know her as a person that well other than the fact that she seems to really like this guy and she has a, a, a daughter that she really likes which i mean fine but like i i feel like if you're going to tell it from her perspective you might want to like get a little bit more of a sense of her motivations and just how cynical she is in nature that how suspicious she is in nature how guarded she is in nature that she would get to the point where she would feel compelled to at least make that initial phone call to detectives that she makes but at the same time i so i i don't think it draws her well enough as a character and i but like i have other problems with the movie aside from that but I think it is interesting where you talk about it as you're really supposed to be seeing it all from her perspective because I think that if you do look at it that way, maybe my biggest criticisms of the movie aren't as big. But I do think that if you're going to tell it from her sp- perspective, you got to get to know her better, and that's what I, I would say. I
1: wholeheartedly agree with Th- that.
0: That's what I would say about that part of the movie. Uh, my criticism, though, is going to be on more of this evil genius thing, and I want to talk about both that and just how uh, the movie portrays his sexual his, his his him as a sexual being because. That was a big topic of conversation at Sundance because that's when the movie premiered mm-hmm. to, to an audience. That's and they dropped the trailer like right at the same time. And my my friend Kayla Stetzel, who did the Greta podcast with me, and is going to be back soon to do the a podcast on BookSmart. She actually had like this big tweet go viral where she basically said like Can we please not sexualize Ted Bundy? Uh, he did all these terrible things to women, and we I really don't want to see like all these young girls just throwing themselves at Zach Efron and celebrating him almost that's I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have her tweet up in front of me but that was that was the gist of her tweet she it went viral and it was a pretty big deal and I so I, I talked to her a little bit about this and it was just something I was very cognizant cognizant of going into the movie because I had just seen my friend have this kind of tweet blow up and I didn't watch the trailer though. I was like, you know what? I I I, I totally get it. If, if that, I mean, not that I agree with it, but if that's how they marketed it, I'm not surprised. But I'm gonna, I want to go in with a fresh slate, and not have any preconceived notions. I I now know what people are saying about the trailer, so I was thinking about that a lot going in. My thing was that, like, I I actually thought the trailer overdid it, and I don't think the movie was quite as sexual as they might have made it out to be. But I had more of a problem. so I had more of a problem actually with them and just how they portrayed Ted Bundy as an, like an evil genius. But at the same time, I think that might have been how Liz just saw him as like this really smart guy. So how do you think the movie did in like that department as far as like whether or not they just like kind of propped him up too much or did that not bother you as much because you're just kind of taking it in and accepting that's how Liz viewed him?
1: So I actually didn't have any problem with the way that they sexualized Ted Bundy or the way that they portrayed him Mm -hmm. because given that we have so much footage of him during the trial and given that this happened so recently, we know that that's how Ted Bundy was. And I mean, if you look at if you look up actual pictures of him personally, I do not find him attractive. I think real Ted Bundy is pretty ugly. But what the directors and the casting directors did is something very similar to what all casting directors will do for, for instance, historical movies or films. I mean, King Henry VIII in reality was really ugly, but they're not going to cast someone ugly as King Henry VIII when you're filming something like rain or whichever movies and TV shows those are you're you're, Mm. at the time, those people were seen as very attractive. So when we're filming movies or TV shows now, in order to communicate that to the audience, we pick people who we now will find attractive. And so that's, I think why they cast Zac Efron He does actually kind of look like him and why they're portraying him in this way. But I think actually people
0: people are going to bring their own, like, Prior relationships with Zac Efron into it, and they're just so naturally they're going to be like, "Well, yeah, like he's really sexy." So then they're going to that that therefore that is what the movie is doing. But you can't really ignore his mo either as a killer.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, but that was that was the whole point of Ted Bundy. That's what made him so dangerous, and that was a lot of the point of what the police were trying to get across at the time. That we didn't really see in the movie, unfortunately, is that you know there's this idea that everybody. You know, if you're talking to somebody who's attractive, they're not a threat. But if you're talking to someone who's unattractive, you're more likely to perceive them as a threat, and that's how Ted Bundy got away with so much of the things yeah. that he got away they, with. They,
0: they briefly show him like drinking with some college girls in Tallahassee, and that's like the only example you really get of that. You know, the documentary does talk some about how, like, uh, some of the more notable ones that, like, that he, some of the more notable crimes he committed were, like, at this uh, Lake uh, Sammamish in Washington. And it was, like, he was literally just, like, walking up to girls with a fake cast. And it's, like, you're going to be disarming if you're, like, a handsome guy that looks hurt. Then, like, of course that's going to happen. And it's just the movie, like, we already talked about the movie when it's out of its way not to show the crimes. so. They they kind of showed like obviously like these women like showing up to the trial and other women like glancing at him in the in the library and stuff like that like they kind of hint at it and that's about all but like I get it like the movie didn't go overboard like there's like one there's one kind of sex scene with Lily Collins which is mm-hmm. the one where it's like actually kind of portrayed as like romantic there's another one with the crazy woman that ends up marrying him and the but- jail which is more just. Dis- Played for wow, how ridiculous is this? Is not like wow, how sexy is Ted Bundy? And I'd right. also I'd also heard someone uh, before I saw the movie. I heard someone talking about like, yeah, this is really sexual. Like they're showing Zac Efron naked, but it's like they're showing him naked when he's getting strip shirts. That's actually a kind of humi- humi- yeah. that's humiliating. So I didn't think they went overboard in that regard. So I was on the lookout for that stuff, but I thought I didn't think it overdid it there. My thing is like like you said there's something about the fact that like he he defies how we think a serial killer is supposed to look and that that, and that's obviously what makes him so dangerous is that he's just um, it's easier for him to approach people and specifically women but he doesn't to me he obviously defies the stereotype of what a serial killer looks like but he doesn't defy the stereotype of what one is and that was kind of my issue with the movie is that he's still driven by like a lot of the worst aspects of like toxic masculinity that do drive serial killers you know like the documentary talks about how he was like really upset because he saw himself as like he worked in politics he was kind of power adjacent to a little bit of power but really didn't work his way off that high but he wanted to be like this lawyer like that was I didn't actually know that you know I was saying how I knew he that was another thing I knew about him going in was I knew that he represented himself in court but I just thought he was like a crazy guy because he thought he should represent <laughs> himself in court no, I,
1: be a lawyer. right
0: I did not know that before I watched the documentary that was just a big like a, a blank in my mind and I so like I, and I mean I am a lawyer I'm not a criminal lawyer but like I was so I <laughs> so so like I was just kind of like wow like what a kook but like I actually was able to more analyze like how, just how. And understand how terrible he was at doing it. I don't know a ton about criminal law, but I know enough to know that like he was like sabotaging his own defense. He oh, was, yeah. and the documentary does like a good job of that. It'll show the defense, the defense attorney, with the how he had a really great cross examination, and then Bundy just like undoes all of it by doing some stupid stuff and going on the record trying to say mean things about his attorney. It's like, what are you doing, man? Like, and I actually didn't think the movie itself like showed that as well. Like, it actually showed him having like a really good moment with the judge. And then at the same time, like a moment later, it's like, yeah, my lawyer is doing terrible. And it's like, if you just didn't know anything about him and you watched the movie, you would think like, oh, he's like just as competent of an attorney as his as his guy as his actual assigned defense counsel. And he and he really wasn't like he was really not, and he didn't did himself no favors by trying to represent himself. So the movie was. The movie, like, kind of portrayed him as being smart when, in fact, a lot of the horrible crimes he committed were – I mean, obviously there might be something chemical – there's obviously something like some kind of chemical imbalance in his head. But he had, like, all this toxic masculinity that was just driven by, like, his perceived slights as he tried to become a lawyer. Like he just he he couldn't hack it at law school in Washington. He then he transfers to like another law school in Utah. Like he didn't just straight up excel and like fly through law school in three years. Like it was like a tr- it was a whole process that he could never actually completely get through. So I, I just don't think that the movie quite captured some of like his rejection and how that kind of like fueled him because like yeah maybe he is receiving attention from women because of how he looks and that your typical serial killer we think of is like really just angry because women are not attracted to him, but that wasn't the case, but, like, just a lot of the rest of the world rejected and didn't rejected him and didn't see him in the same way he saw himself. And that was where I thought the movie might have fallen a little short, but like you like we've already you've already made the point like that's not how Liz saw him. Liz saw him as something a little bit greater. So maybe that's just why the movie's framing him that way. I just as I'm watching it, I'm not really thinking about it in those terms about how Liz sees him. I'm just like, man, I just watched this documentary that like showed me like this totally different version of this guy, and that's why the movie kind of rubbed me the wrong way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the main problem with the movie is we're just missing all the context that we need to really understand what's happening as we're watching things. And obviously that's purposeful. I mean, we meet Liz and Ted Bundy in 1969 when they first meet, and then we have a six-year time jump to 1975, and they don't go into detail about any of that. And that's when the majority of the killings actually occurred in Washington and in Utah and, right. and in Colorado. They had one, I believe. And there's one in Northern, right Northern California. Yeah, And so we don't have any of that, presumably because Liz had absolutely no idea what was going on then. And she only got an inkling really after he was arrested. And obviously we don't find out until towards the end of the movie that she was the one that made the call to the police in her mind. In reality, if if you know the case, Ann Rule also called the police and reported Ted Bundy. There were a couple people who had reported him. Um, But, of course, we don't know that because Liz doesn't know that. So we're, we're working with a reliable narrator who doesn't have all the facts. And you you know what they also
0: skip over? They skip over, like, how he gets arrested in the first place. Also. Like, it's, a, it's just all, it's all of a sudden, it's like, um, it's like, oh, now, now, now this person's, like, picking him out of a police lineup. You know, like, he got pulled over, he gets pulled over, but it's like, it, it kind of skips over exactly how he gets pulled over on both occasions. Like, he's just being stupid. And, uh, yeah. it's like, my, my whole thing is, like, I, I just thought the movie was portraying him as being too smart, and, it's like he was actually really dumb like but he could have easily gotten away with this stuff if he had just like driven like a normal person it's like when he get when he get when he got arrested in Pensacola he's like yeah this, he was just like going like 15 miles an hour in like a 30 something mile an hour zone and just like moseying along it's like for no reason it wasn't like he was even under the influence it's just like cops like pulled him over because he was just driving like a jackass it's like
1: yeah and eh. if you know the case you know that it's because he was also in small towns where everybody knows everybody and all the cops know all the cars and I'm sorry, but there's no yellow beetle here. So <laughs> strangely in this tiny town that you don't belong in.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I interrupted you. Was just, I was just trying to make the point. Like it was just like, he just wasn't a smart guy. And just like the way he even, I, I mean, I hate like being like, oh, here's how I would have killed a bunch of people. But it's like, he just, he just made like dumb, stupid mistakes where it's like, if he's this evil genius killer, like it was, it would have been easy to avoid some of the things that actually led to his downfall.
1: Well, I think that it was just it was hubris. He was just overconfident, and that's what led to him getting caught. True. And I think that the biggest thing is, even though he got caught, however many times, because of the way that he looked, because of the way that he acted, and because of the way that he conducted himself, a lot of the times he was able to talk himself in and out and around these things. I mean, he had gotten talked to by the police before, like, and he got around it. I mean, they had been had his eyes on him for yeah. a while, but they didn't have anything concrete to do anything with him until he got pulled over. And one of the so people, and one of the people,
0: one point. of the people at Sammamish was like, yeah, that wasn't the color of his car. Like he got really lucky because he used his real name.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's conflicting reports. some of them say it was yellow. Some say it was Brown at a certain point in time, supposedly the paint had rubbed off on his car. So it looked Brown. So, I mean, but that's getting into, into the case. I think that the biggest thing that we're missing that it's purposely missing from the movie is just context mm-hmm. and that's because they wanted to stay true to liz's side of the story but i think that we really lose a lot of what you know the story is really about when you don't reveal t- until the very end to an un- unknowing viewer that ted bundy actually is this masochistic serial killer
0: right I, but like we talked i think we talked more about this before we like actually uh started recording but it's like I think most of the people watching it are kind of going in with that knowledge so you know it, it, on, on one hand it's like interesting to like um show them a different side of it but at the same time like they know what he did so like they don't need that as like some kind of reveal at the end you know and you, you, like you mentioned the the final scene which we talked about some you know, i guess liz wanted that closure and that that there is some kernel of truth in that scene but at the same time, it's like, you know, as a viewer, like, how 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 significantly does that moment land when, like, we are more than aware of the fact that, yes, he was, like, convicted of all these heinous things. And, I mean, and, and I guess at that point in the movie, he, like, already, he already, like, confessed. And it's like, yeah, we know he wasn't faking that confession. It's it's a weird thing when, like, the viewer knows, like, way more than, like, the POV character in the movie.
1: Yeah, and and that was something interesting. I mean, I I found it interesting as I was watching it when they would not be very specific about what he was being arrested for or what he was being charged with because i was like oh wait i know what that is because i had read the book and so i it was interesting for me to be able to piece it together in my mind but at the same time fred my boyfriend who was sitting next to me was really confused and annoyed that they never actually talked about the things that he was accused of as someone who doesn't really know the case very well So, and I mean, at the very end, when they're having that discussion, I mean, as we talked about before, neither of us have read Liz Kloeper's book, but we looked it up and that discussion in the jail on death row doesn't actually happen in person. That was a phone call and that, spoiler alert, hacksaw that he wrote on the window never actually happened and was never discussed in such explicit terms. It was really just for the wow effect. Yeah. I understand why they did it. I admit I got chills down my back when suddenly they pulled back and it just said hacksaw written in condensation on the window. But I also think that that was an unnecessary dramatization. I think they just wanted a bang to end the movie on
0: right yeah it struck me as something they made up in the moment uh, right away and I was like you know it's weird they're kind of playing this as like him doing her a favor even if it's going to give her some kind of uh, closure it was like hey they're wanting to show him giving like uh, performing a compassionate act and it's you know I don't really need that from him but you know maybe it wasn't totally fabricated if she wrote that some version of that conversation happened it just rang a little false to me I do think it was interesting what she said about Fred wanting more details about the crimes because like anyone watching obviously knows he's a killer but there was something to the fact that it did kind of jump around a little bit and they did eventually go back to the fact that like yeah he killed a 12 year old which is like i mean mm-hmm. I, obviously all the murders are really bad but it's like that, that's like almost like another level of monster and the movie like, glazes over that you, you know like the guy killed like 30 people that we know of so like you don't obviously have time to like hit on all of them but like that was part of like like the spree that he went on in florida for lack of a better term and Yeah, and
1: the other thing that the movie doesn't touch on is the fact that after he was convicted of the Florida State killings, he also went on trial for the Kimberly Leach killing, the twelve-year-old. Right. So so yeah, he was convicted of that too.
0: Yeah, that that was a thing. Like, yeah, and I get it. The movie didn't have time to do like multiple trials, and from the documentary, I knew that like. There was a little bit of controversy about that. It's like he's already in jail for the rest of his life and has the death penalty. Like, why do you need to do another trial? Which and and they actually had a really good response. It's like, well, if you have two convictions, like, there's a better chance that like at least one of them will stick. You know, like, who knows? Maybe they won't be able to get overturned. Yeah, maybe something gets overturned on a technicality, but you still got the other one then. So, I mean, that's like it's kind of a big thing to leave out that he's convicted of killing a twelve year old because they just they really barely talk about it in the movie. Like at one point, uh, Liz is like ted they said one of the ones you killed was 12 and it's like if but if you didn't know any better you wouldn't actually know that like that was wasn't just something he was accused of you know like that was something like he legitimately did but uh but yeah i mean i don't know i mean i i guess i don't really have like a a point there beyond the fact that like there might have been a way it might have felt a little heavy on the exposition but there might have been a better way to like just kind of convey that like just the scope of what he did before you get to the title cards at the end you know
1: Yeah. And I actually, I I wanted to touch on those title cards because Mm -hmm. I think that for a movie that focused so much on the idea that Ted Bundy was innocent for so long that, and discussed so little about his actual victims and what he has admitted to doing, I thought that they should have done something better than just listing all of his victims' names on the screen for 30 seconds.
0: Well, yeah, I guess I touched on that earlier in the podcast and we, and I actually didn't like, I think we just moved on before I could even say anything before we actually answered the question, but it's like how, cause this movie was told in a very specific way. They kind of wanted Liz's perspective, but they just, they wanted to show it in this way where it was like, how someone would view him without actually knowing the awful things he did because we're not seeing the awful things we're just we're kind of just seeing his protestations and we're seeing Liz's version of him. How would you have was there a way you would have wanted them to have worked the victims in and in an, in another way, like whether it be like police having conversations with their family where the family talks about them or seeing the encounter the actual encounters before he uh, committed the murders was there was there a way you think would have been best for the movie to handle that?
1: so I actually don't have a problem given that we know that it's, obviously it's all from Liz's perspective. I don't have a problem with the way that they handled it because the victims during the movie, because it was very consistent the whole way through. I think that at the very end, they really missed an opportunity to call attention to everything that he actually did or, and just really discuss the victims. So about the time that the, um, the big hubbub about the preview came mm-hmm. out, there was a Twitter thread going around that basically highlighted all of his victims like with their pictures and didn't discuss the ways, the ways that they were killed, but talked about who they were as people. Like, you know, this person was studying to be a teacher. This person worked with special ed kids in her free time. Yeah. They could um, have could
0: really just, just done like a title card with like a paragraph for each of them. Like,
1: yeah. And that's all I wanted. Yeah. Like, I wanted something honoring his victims because obviously this movie was so much about him and so much about, you know, the woman next to him who, how she was affected, but we didn't really get to learn about his victims. We didn't really get to honor the fact that they were taken from this world too soon. And I think just some small sort of homage like that would have gone a long way to alleviate those criticisms because, you know, when you're telling a story from a certain perspective, when you're trying to get something across, some things get left out. Obviously it's not a complete telling of the story, But you can make up for that at the very end by providing that information as opposed to just glazing over it with something that Liz said at the very end when she's yelling at him.
0: That makes sense. Uh, Lastly, what did you think of uh, Zach Efron's performance?
1: I thought his performance was good. I didn't think that it was mind-blowing. I think that he achieved that dead look behind the eyes, even though he's smiling, Hmm. that Ted Bundy was so well-known for. So kudos to him. But other than that, I thought it was a good performance. I don't think it's award-worthy. I don't think it's anything really to write home about. But I think that I could make that criticism for the movie itself.
0: Yeah, I certainly think that he is uh, – I, I thought he's pretty good. And I, I, the one thing I think would have, like, actually potentially made it awards-worthy, I guess, would have been if, like, for me, if they had so- shown some more scenes of, like – you know, maybe him younger in life and him uh, developing whatever warped perspective he had about himself and uh, facing a lot of the rejection that he did. And you could have maybe seen that transition from to like, when he was just actually like an idealistic person that wanted to be a lawyer to when he was capable of killing. Like, you don't see that. And uh, and there have been other Ted Bundy movies before, I guess, that maybe tried to do that, and I just didn't watch them. Never something that really came across my radar. So, I mean, maybe it's like they're wanting to – they're obviously wanting to do something very different with this movie. But uh, the, with the version of what they did, I don't think it necessarily – gave him enough to do for me to be like, yeah, that's an Oscar winning performance or anything like that. But yeah. I, thought, I thought he did what was asked of him like really well. And like the, the kind of denial that he was in, but like denial that like y- you could buy that he probably bought into it, but you don't buy into yourself. Like I thought that was, uh, I thought, I, th- I thought, I thought it was pretty well done. And like, he's someone that, you know, I might not come into like a movie with like the same baggage as like some people do with Zach Efron. Like I wasn't like a, I wasn't like a high school musical fan or anything like that, but <laughs> way, like way back in the day, like I've watched him do like a lot of like a very d- different things. Like he was just in this movie called uh, the beach bum a couple months ago by mm-hmm. harmony, harmony, Corinne, you know, the same guy that did spring breakers, which uh, ironically enough had Vanessa Hudgens, but I mean, he just played this like crazy guy that's on a bunch of drugs with Matthew McConaughey. He like actually did a really good job of like making fun of his persona in neighbors. Uh, and yeah. just like, in how that plays on just like that stereotypical kind of jock guy that has that, that has that kind of look and uh, physique and all all that and, and like,
1: he was in baywatch right self-aware
0: I, yeah baywatch wasn't a good movie but like that wasn't really I, it,
1: I enjoyed it it's a guilty pleasure of mine i mean
0: there's nothing wrong with enjoying it but it, in any move, problems of that movie were not his fault you know yeah like, he he he's he's and he's even funny in something like mike and dave need wedding days he's actually like, really funny and i'm glad he like broke out of just being one kind of actor and i'm glad he did something like this if it leads him doing some more stuff like he also did this movie called the paper boy which i also mentioned on the beach bum podcast because it also had matthew mcconaughey and him nicole kidman gives like the best crazy performance in it but i mean <laughs> it's actually a movie that takes place in like rural florida where like matthew mcconaughey is like going back to investigate a murder in this town um it, but like he, he's done like a varied amount of things and i am hope this movie like at least Gives people like the perspective of like to like go back and watch him do other stuff because I think he does what is asked of him well even if like I think there's a version of this movie that I enjoy more that asks even more of him. Do you have yeah. any did did you have any other thing any any other points or anything else you wanted to touch on that I didn't ask you about?
1: Um, I think just continuing on the Zac Efron, but I think that yeah he did what was asked of him. I think it was a good way for him to break out of that whole. Like comedy hunk role that he's been playing for the past mm-hmm. few years, I hope it gives him the opportunity to really delve into those really deeper, more dramatic roles that I know a lot of actors really hope land on on their laps.
0: Apparently, he took um, a bi- apparently he took a very big pay cut to do this movie. Like they did it in a small budget, and he was down to do they it. They did
1: it on a small budget. They got a lot of really big name actors to be in this movie.
0: Yeah, John Malkovich and uh, Lily Collins and. I don't know how much money Haley Joel Osmick commands these days, but yeah, they had a decent amount of notable faces.
1: Yeah, I mean, I recognized a lot of people on it. I was oh, pretty And impressed. yeah,
0: so the girl that played Carol, who was his uh, crazy wife.
1: Yes, Carol Ann Boone.
0: Yeah, she was that, that actress is named Kaya Skolodaro or something like that. Um, she was in the the Maze Runner movies, and then she
1: was in the Maze Runner, she was and oh, she I was in so she was
0: in some other like big budget movie or something like that. So I was like, uh, Kyla Scode El Mario. Um
1: Power to the Caribbean, yeah, the uh, yeah. Last one, one of
0: the ones that like I just didn't watch. So yeah. I mean, I was like, I, I was happy for her. Where it was like she, this is like a very weird. She was
1: performance. unrecognizable. Yeah, like she she's, like, a, she's like she's like
0: she's 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 legitimately like a model in real life. And I mean, yeah. So like for her to like kind of dre- uh, dress down her looks like that, and but conv- do so in a convincing way, and convincingly become like the, this person that clearly has something wrong with them. Uh, yeah, was like, uh, it was very impressive. You know, like I, I and, and like. Uh, obviously she's a crazy person, but, and so there's maybe more to work with there on the page and just by nature of the decisions she made in life. But like, I felt like I had a better sense of who she was a, as a person than like who Liz was as a person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think something else that's important. I mean, when we talk about the ending credits after they rolled the title card about the victims, I mean, I, I think it was after, maybe it was before they started comparing the footage from the real life footage that they had of the trial then you know kind of displaying the scenes yeah. that they had dramatized mm-hmm. so like i mean you see ted bundy doing these ridiculous things on screen and if you didn't know that those things actually happened and were videotaped you would think that they were too over the top and i think that really showed how well their casting was like how how good they did at casting the movie how well these things were acted to make them realistic to the actors who were portraying them mm-hmm. cuz when I mean, you watch you watch ted bundy walking around the the sheriff and bothering him while he's reading the indictment Mm -hmm. and zach efron does it in a funny kind of cool way and Ted actual ted bundy did it in a really awkward vaguely uncomfortable way oh really (laughs) yeah yeah when you i thought it was really uncomfortable watching it honestly i think from what i've seen of ted bundy i actually haven't watched the um the ted bundy tapes documentary i don't need to hear the story from his mouth i don't i'm not interested in hearing anything from him, personally.
0: Yeah, I thought the the documentary was, like, well done, but I also wouldn't, like, I'm not gonna, like, I'm not running out there yelling at people to watch it, either.
1: Yeah, I thought it was an interesting way to lead up to the release of this movie, and I think that's really why it was released at the time that it was by the same director on the same platform. Right. So, I mean, I thought it was interesting to see that comparison. Obviously, the movie was very, very trial-heavy as opposed to anything happening before the trial, but that's where we have the most citations the most footage to really look back on to dramatize so and and that was the main height of Bundy's fame that's what everybody pretty much knows him from so like I understood it Mm -hmm. if that makes sense
0: yeah no for sure and I just maybe maybe I would like maybe I wouldn't have like been as critical as some of the trial stuff if I wasn't a lawyer but even if (laughs) if, but but even for people that aren't lawyers like you know the documentary does make it pretty clear that like he was like on his way to winning the Colorado case you know Mm-hmm. Um, and when, or when he jumped out the window, uh, oh, yeah. he, he was just so dumb and I, and I, I don't want, I don't want people to like, forget that, you know, it was like, uh, yeah, you can, you can admire the fact that he was, or not admire the fact, but like you can take note of the fact he was good looking, but don't just like flippantly say like, oh yeah, he was like this smart, good looking guy. Cause he wasn't smart. And that was like my biggest takeaway from yeah, doing he this. He was like,
1: just lucky. Yeah. He, he was, he, he, he was, was attractive and he was lucky.
0: Yeah, and uh, and I, I just don't want people to lose sight of that when they're like going through that because that was like my biggest takeaway when I did like this binge of all this content over the weekend. But yeah, uh, do you have anything? Any other final thoughts before we sign off?
1: I mean, obviously, watch the everyone should watch the movie, come up with their own opinions. But if you watch it, the only thing that I hope that you take away is that the boogeyman on the other side of the door doesn't always look like you think he will. He won't always be unattractive. He won't always be someone who's immediately scary. And so, you know, as you're walking around in real life, as you're going about your day, just remember to, if you learn anything from this, just remember to take care of yourself and protect yourself and always be skeptical when people approach you with anything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot of stuff's been in the news lately about like the, how there's been like some different things going on with like rideshare services and like people, Mm -hmm. uh, like people abusing that. And like, I just had the thought that like, there's no way in like if Ted Bunny was like, Doing his thing now, he would have totally like just been like an Uber driver that creeped. Oh, he
1: totally me. would have been. Uber like driver. I,
0: I could have like to- like he would have totally like used his charms and just like signed up for it, and that would have been his mo like a hundred percent. And like it's like <laughs> it's creepy to think about, but it's like that's the thing. It's like I- it's really terrible, but like it's. I mean, that we're now, like, what, like, 45 years after he committed the – like, almost 50 years after he committed most of his crimes. And, like, you're not really any safer from that kind of person. Like, they have even more tools at their disposal than ever, unfortunately. You know, it's like yep. he did all that without any aid of basically any technology. So it's it's not great to think about, but like Logan said, unfortunately, you just got to, like – you got you to gotta be suspicious. You can't just be too trusting of, like, anyone and – That's. I mean if there's – it's a sad thing to come to this story, but if there's anything worthwhile to come from it, it's like like, that's a lesson people can take from it. Um, Yep. All
1: right. And as My Favorite Murder says, fuck politeness. If someone is bothering you, if somebody is making you nervous, you do not have to be polite to them just because society wants you to. Walk to the other side of the street, like yell at them, do whatever makes you feel safe ultimately what's most important is that you make it home at the end of the night okay not what someone else thinks of something that you said to them
0: it's very well said uh logan before you sign off do you have anything you want to plug uh, twitter facebook any kind of thing where people want to follow you or anything like that
1: uh yeah i um pretty much every social media handle i'm at signed logan s-i-g-n-e-d logan um instagram twitter blog I don't really blog anymore, but it's there if you want to check it out. So, uh, yeah, feel free to hit me up there.
0: Awesome. And as usual, I'm at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I, on both Twitter and Letterboxd. And uh, the podcast is on Twitter now, Rewind Movie Pod, so you can follow that. Uh, Everyone, thanks for listening. Coming up next, we'll have a podcast uh, on John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, and uh, hopefully I'm going on vacation for world day weekend, but going to try and get stuff done on both book smart and Aladdin as well. So a lot of summer, summer movie season heating up. So, uh, Logan, I appreciate you helping me kind of, uh, kind of finish out one of the, the, maybe this quieter time of year with a low budget movie before we're just like ramp back up into blockbusters. So, uh, thank you so much for joining and we'll hope to get you back again soon, sooner than 10 months because, uh, <laughs> well, I promise, uh, but thanks again for doing this and everyone we'll see you next time.